So thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. Today's guest is Trudy Krishner. Trudy will be reading to us from and talking about her book, On the March, a novel of the Women's March on Washington. Trudy, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Yvonne. I think this is exciting. Um, I'm delighted to uh, help you and help out your listeners and talk a little bit about On the March. Oh, wonderful. So can you tell us a little bit about the book, please? Well, you know, I think I should start with where I, how I got inspired to write it. I had never gone to any kind of protest of anything in my entire life until 2017. I had worked very hard doing some leadership on the Hillary Clinton campaign when she was running for president. And of course, she lost. And I was disappointed because I am, I'm an older woman. I'm, I was 70 years old when the election took place. And I had always hoped that I would see a woman president before I left this, left this world. And um, I was disappointed, really disappointed because she was very qualified. So at any rate, when my pastor organized a bus at my church, I thought, why not? I'll get on that bus and I'll go to Washington and I'll, I'll protest in my own way. So here I am. I was 70 years old. I put on my sturdiest sneakers. I tried to work out to make sure I would be, you know, in shape for all of this. But it was a very transformative experience for me. And when I came home, I noticed that all these women were running for office or they were starting nonprofits. And I thought, what can I do? You know, when I I got back home, I felt like I should still be doing something. And so I knew how to write. So I thought, okay, I will write a book. And I started it in uh, when I came home from the march in 2017. And luckily, we had the pandemic because I couldn't go anywhere. And it allowed me to finish the book. And I finished it right in time for the fifth anniversary of the 2017 Women's March. And that was this year. So that was my little contribution post-March. And uh, I'm really happy about the book. So thanks. Oh, that's wonderful. Can we hear from the book, please? We can. And the book features three women that are all very different. The march was called intersectional, which means there were all different races and religions and ages and backgrounds at the march. So what I did with my three main characters, they are all three totally different, and they end up sitting next to each other on the bus as if they would have nothing in common. And by the end of the story, they are best friends. So the first section I'm going to read is about an older woman. Her name is Henrietta, and she's one of the writers on the bus. And I'll read you a little bit about Henrietta. Okay? Okay. Before she began to pack, Henrietta stood in the middle of Oldham's Antiques and looked around. She looked at the stacks of faded quilts and lace doilies on tabletops. She looked at the sets of dull brass andirons by the fireplace. She looked at the atomizers atop glass vials of perfume, their fragrances long dried out. She lingered over the abandoned brooches in the glass case, 
feeling a sisterhood with those stones no longer worn. Stones like garnet, onyx, marcasite. The shop reminded her of herself, faded, dull, orphaned. It was time for a change. And that's the first section with Henrietta and needing to needing to take a cha- make a change. Wow, what an opening. Yeah. Oh, it strikes me that I love that you were able to get the book out, you know, in time for the anniversary. And what would you like it to show readers today? Tell readers today? Yeah. Um, I would tell readers today that you never rest on your laurels. Working for rights for women is sort of this one of these jobs that's never accomplished. We have, you are in the UK, right, Yvonne? Yes. And if you're in the UK, you are not experiencing necessarily what we're experiencing here with the loss of the right to abortion. And, you know, women here are very upset because the Supreme Court took away that right that they had for over 50 years or almost 50 years. So what I'd like women to take away is to be proud of the strength that they have together. This is a book about sisterhood and about how if we work together and we, you know, we work towards the good, we can make changes in the world and uh, we need to stand up for each other. So that's what I'd like people to take away. It's really a book about sisterhood. What a hopeful and uplifting and also timely message. And it seems to be a worldwide message as well. It is. And, you know, population-wise, we're over half the population. But in terms of representation, we're just not there. And I worry a lot about the younger generation of women, and I worry about women all over the world who, whose lives are restricted in many ways. So this is my little contribution to saying, you go, girls, you go. <laughs> well, thank you for your contribution. And could we hear more reading, please? Yes, I have a second character is a young girl. Her name is Bertie Jackson, and she is an African-American girl. And she's going on the march at the insistence of her aunt. And her aunt is quite an advocate for all kinds of things. But Bertie is a young girl, kind of shy, and she's not sure she wants to go. So here's Miss Bertie. Bertie considered the buttery scrambled eggs Aunt Lou set in front of her. She had always liked eggs. In a way, she envied them. Eggs were ordinary, but they still had potential. They could be hard-boiled, poached, over-easy. Eggs had possibilities. Unlike me, she thought, poking at her plate. Do eggs have a secret life, she wondered, Do they dream about what they one day may become? Part of a fluffy omelet, blueberry pancakes, something for a special occasion like a wedding or a birthday cake? Eat, Bertie, said Aunt Lou. Bertie was too anxious to eat. Soon she and her aunt would be leaving for the Women's March in Washington, D.C., the first and only unusual thing Bertie Jackson had ever done. Her mother and aunt were having one of their usual half-hearted arguments. I see you're still buying those white eggs, Louise said, waving her hands around. Whenever she got agitated, Aunt Lou talked with her hands. Eggs is eggs, Mama said. She was gulping her breakfast. She was late to work. 
brown, white, all the same inside. What I eat for breakfast ain't a political statement, sister. Aunt Lou shook her head and poured Mama a cup of coffee. Bertie knew what Aunt Lou thought. To her, everything was a political statement. The hairstyle you wore, the cracked sidewalks you walked over, the color of Band-Aids at the Walgreens. Aunt Lou had a desk in her little house she called her protest desk. It was not a desk exactly, more like a utility table. It took up her whole dining room. When the family came for meals, there wasn't room to eat in the dining room, so they ate off her wobbly aluminum tray tables with pictures of African-American heroes on them. And that's sort of the end of that just a little section I read. So Aunt Lou is a protester and Bertie is a shy young girl who really doesn't yet know what the world's about. How wonderful mm-hmm. bringing them together. I'm really curious because you were there on the day and as mm-hmm. a writer, what was it important for you that stayed true to the spirit of the day and where were you free to reimagine and explore? Well, that's such a great question. As far as the characters go, I've gotten lots of positive comments on the book because there are lots of different characters. I have three main characters who sit by each other on the bus, but there are all kinds of characters riding the bus on the way to Washington. And in one scene, they play a kind of musical chairs where they shift seats so they get to know each other. And each time I introduce a new woman, she has kind of a different issue or a different problem. Maybe she's been discriminated against at work. Uh, Maybe there's been some sexual abuse. You know, maybe she has questions about her uh, sexual identity, whatever it happens to be. So there are many little snippets where I, I give portraits, short portraits of the people that are riding on the bus to suggest how different they are, but how, how much they have in common in terms of the issues that women face. So I don't know if that answers your question, but the character part is is really good. And that was mostly imaginative. But the parts that are real from being at the march is I remember, oh, it was so crowded. They called it a march, but it was more like a tiny little footsteps one after the other because we were so crowded together. It was like enormous. It was one of the biggest marches they've ever had in Washington. So it was very, very crowded. And if you wanted to get on the train to get downtown to the main stage, it was really funny because it was the day after the inauguration. So there were people that were coming off the trains still in their fancy clothes. You know, they were Trumpers and they had on their, you know, their gowns, inaugural gowns and all that kind of stuff. But then here we were all these women with our protest signs, you know, coming on the uh, buses following after them. So there was a real contrast between those in power, the well-heeled, and then the ordinary American women that were there to protest. But there were people there. I mean, this is in the book. I mean, Gloria Steinem was there. Let's see. Katy Perry was there. Oh, gosh, all kinds of women. I mean, there were so many. The Indigo Girls performed. Anybody who was anybody was there on the main stage. And it was just a real wonderful spirit. The music was great. And I don't know, there was just a feeling there that I think I captured in the book of people coming together and really sharing. I mean, 
there was every everybody from Rastafarians to vegetarians. I mean, it was just it was just an eye opening experience. So it was a real bonding kind of thing. So I hope that the book captures that spirit. I love that. And I also love that you get you made room for everyone to be on the bus, because I think in some of the reports of it, and we hear that a lot with um, with movements, and I think a lot with women's movements about them not being necessarily inclusive. And I love well, that you made room for everyone. Well, you know, that was a real challenge when they were organizing, because most of the women that were organizers were white. And there were just a lot of controversy and they realized that they had to totally open it up to everyone. And I think that's why it was so successful. And I'm really proud of the organizing team because they made it a very strong point to include everybody. And that was what the beauty was of it, you know. So anyway, I, I thought it was just transformative. Oh, that's wonderful. Could we have our final reading, please? Sure. My final reading will be Emily. Emily is a, oh, I don't know. She's a recent college graduate. Uh, She doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. She's wet behind the ears. She's kind of lost. She's just gotten out of college. She seems to think she should have left college with a husband. So she's kind of at loose ends about what to do with her life. So here is Miss Emily. Emily Messer was eager to leave. She knew her parents were also eager for her to leave. My parents are sick of me, she muttered. I'm sick of them too. Get yourself out of that basement, her stepfather shouted daily. You're a college graduate and you can't find a job? I have a job, Dave. She did. She worked part-time at the coffee shop, making lattes, espressos, chais, and fancy coffees. Dave, however, had assumed her communications degree from a third-tier college would be a ticket to success. At least it gives me a chance to get out of your basement, Emily muttered under her breath. It also gave her a chance to keep in touch with people her age. Most of them were addicted to pleasures like sex and cappuccino. Then at least try to find a job at Starbucks, Emily, Dave yelled. They pay health benefits to part-timers. Emily started to shout back that she still had four more years to stay on her parents' health plan. Instead, she mumbled to herself, thank you, Mr. Obama. She bid goodbye to the basement room. She had tried to brighten it up with pictures from college. There were Sonia, Jenny, and Katie toasting each other with with red plastic solo cups full of beer. She'd snapped a few pictures of the cute mustached bartender at Roosters, the bottles of Grey Goose and Bailey's behind him. And she had dozens of pictures of her dog. Bravo at the beach. Bravo on her lap at Great Clips. Bravo swinging on their back porch swing. Victoria Stewart, her mother, peered around the basement door. Aren't you going to fix your hair? Emily was familiar with her mother's complaints. She wore her hair gathered on top of her head and fastened with a claw. Her mother thought the way her hair fell every which way over her crown was ridiculous. Take some pride in yourself, Em, she said, not for the first time. Another complaint was Emily's clothes. She and Jenny and Katie and Sonia had decided to dress alike for the trip yoga pants, Stanton College sweatshirts. 
aren't you going to wear a coat? It's January, Emily. Emily shrugged. Her weather app had said the temps would be around 50. Here, mother, see? She stuck the weather app in her mother's face. I don't need a coat. Emily turned away from her mother. She didn't need to face her. She knew too well the way Victoria Stewart rolled her eyes. Emily had packed only her phone, her charger, and her earbuds. All of it would fit in the pockets of her sweatshirt. Maybe that would be all she'd take if her parents split up. They'd been screaming about it for years. She wore her earbuds to bed to drown out the shouting and to escape from what it meant for her future. That's why this trip was so appealing. Sonia, Jenny, Katie, and she were thinking about getting an apartment together in Philadelphia, where Sonia was from. They were going to make plans in Washington. Maybe she could finally escape. Emily Messer knew one thing. She was stuck. Stuck with debt. Stuck in her parents' house. Stuck with few job prospects. The Internet had shown her all kinds of stimulating possibilities. Elephant preserves in Africa. River rafting companies in Brazil. Tranquil monasteries in Tibet. And here she was, stuck, stuck, stuck in a basement in Soros, Kansas. And that's the end of hers. Oh, wow. So all three of those ladies end up sitting together as strangers and sort of eyeing each other, wondering what they might have in common. And by the end of the story, they realize how much they do have in common. Oh, how beautiful. Well, I hope so. It was fun to write. It really was. Oh, that's even better. So where can we buy On the March? You can buy it at Amazon. It's available hardback, paperback, and uh, Kindle. So it's it's available as an ebook. So if you just go to Amazon, it's there. You can also go to my website. Um, It'll take you to Amazon, though. It's www.trudycrisher.com. And uh, so you can, you know, click on wander around on my website and learn about my writing and the book. So, yeah, I also have a book trailer. So if you go to the the website, the book trailer is kind of fun to to watch. It gives you a sense of the excitement of the march and um, the power of getting close to other other women. Oh, I love that. The power of getting close to other women. Trudy, thank you so much for being our guest on Bookable Space. It's been such a treat. Thank you for the readings and for talking to us. Oh, I'm delighted and good luck to you, Yvonne. I'm so proud of you for your all these young women that are, you know, business people in the world. And it's it's really exciting to watch all this growth and development. So oh. thank you.